But deals never look good in the present day. It doesn't mean go out haphazard and get yourself a deal, but it does mean that you need to really be prepared to act when things are almost good enough. They're not gonna be good enough. Wait until they're good enough. Don't do a bad deal. But when they're good enough, you have to act. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another uh, episode of The General Art of Crushing It. My name is Nathan, your Wednesday host. Uh, and today I'm super honored and excited to be joined by Jeff Higgins. Jeff manages upwards of 90 properties across two states. He's a success coach, podcast uh, host himself, um, self-manages all of the properties. We're going to want to talk about that. And I'm sure there's a whole lot more that I'm not touching on right now. Jeff, Jeff, welcome. How you doing? Nathan, th thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, gentle Art of Crushing It, here to talk about some real estate, some mindset, some success. Let's do it. I love it. Cool. Awesome. So why don't we kick things off with just you telling us a little bit about who you are, who's Jeff. I think you started investing in real estate back in 2006 or seven, something like that. So we're going to want to talk, you know, touch on that, talk about that. But why don't you kick us off with your story? Who's Jeff? Yeah, man, it's been a, uh, it's been a long ride. Uh, bought my first property in 2006. Actually, I'll take it backwards. Right now I'm a 43 year old man. I live in Sarasota, Florida, and I'm a full-time real estate investor. And I'm also, uh, involved in a men's group, the Fraternity of Excellence, which gets a lot of my time. And that's as a result of being a real estate investor for so long. So way back when I, uh, I was very interested in investing growing up, my father and my grandmother were a big influence on me with money and they were stock investors. So I always had my eye on the stock market. I always liked the idea of money working for you. But as a younger guy, I really couldn't get my hands around uh, the volatility of the stock market. I, it wasn't tangible to me. So I started doing research on real estate, read a ton of books and uh, went to seminars and courses and all that stuff. And But it was 2005, 2006, and prices were very, very, very high. So I kept my eye on the market. I bought one house to flip in 2006, did a lot of work on it over eight months, sold it. I broke even. But I learned a lot, you know, first time managing contractors, getting my hands dirty, making a transaction. But I really wanted to buy cash flow property. I really wanted to hold the rental and it just wasn't the right time. So I kept my eye on the market. I kept looking for the cash flow. 2008, it got good enough to start going. So I bought a four family in 2008. I still have it today. And I've added a lot more since then. Very, very cool. Uh, I'm curious what, I don't even know how to ask this question, right? But you obviously went through a whole lot between 2006 you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, you know, the quote downturn, downfall, whatever you want to call it. Then the run up until now, um, obviously things are starting to change in the real estates, you know, landscape, you know, these days. Um, I'm curious what your, your favorite and least favorite moment of that entire journey was. Yeah, it's crazy to look back on it. And in hindsight, everything looks obvious, but it never looks real in the moment like whenever i bought a deal even if it felt good you know you're never sure that day you can only tell in hindsight when it looks really really good so uh man so many memories over the years and like such a learning curve i've always been hands-on i've always wanted to manage property so i've only bought property within 30 minutes of where i live i used to live in massachusetts so from 2008 to 2019 i was buying properties in massachusetts 
And there was a learning curve. And even though rents held up very, very well while prices were falling between 2008 and 2011, it was a little bit tougher um, to manage properties uh, in a recession when people are, are not doing as well. I learned a lot of lessons about managing tenants, about people, and just growing. You know, I was a much younger guy. Uh, I have plenty of colorful stories about tenants. But the one thing I'll say about that is, like, those stories get overblown. They happen, but at scale, they're a very small percentage. So no regrets. I mean, I actually started a turnkey company in like 2009 that I did for a couple of years, which is probably my worst memory because it was a bad idea. Learned a lot again. And fortunately, I was able to pivot and say, you know what? I don't want to be doing turnkey. I want to be building my own portfolio. So I did that. So actually, that pivot might be my best memory. But um, coming out of COVID was crazy, too. It was almost reminiscent of 2008 to 11, except three years happened in three months. You know, prices got really low. And if you got active between June and August of 2020, there was some incredible returns, especially in Florida, where I am. And how would you say, I don't know if you can, but you've obviously been doing this for, for a while, right? How would you say, like, literally today compares to 2008, 9, 10? Because that's, it seems like at least in, you know, all the news outlets, news media, social media, all of that, that seems like that's the only comparison that people want to talk about. Right. And I don't know if they're the similar, same, if they have similarities or if you see them as completely different in terms of maybe what you saw and did back then versus what you see and do now. So it's a very interesting topic. And I spend a lot of time reading people's opinions and analyzing them. And um, everyone's wrong, <laughs> no matter what side you're on. <laughs> you know, what? there is a lot of overlap. Like right now, I do find it a very risky time to buy, as in there's not as much cash flow offered as there are normally in the years between 2011 and 2021, um, you can find better cash flow now. So when, whenever cash flow is tough to find, you're, you're buying at a risk. So I've always let cash flow drive my buying decisions. And what that does is that protects me from paying way too much because when the prices are way too much, they don't cash flow. When the prices are reasonable, they cash flow. So if you follow cash flow, protect yourself a little bit. But that being said, I don't think we're on the precipice of a great financial crisis. I mean, if you look at what was happening leading up to 2005 and six with all of the bad paper and the bad mortgages out there and the low qualifications and crazy stuff, maybe we get there in the future as, as they drive these crazy products and try to um, promote you know, low credit worthy homeowners into houses. Like that could fuel another GFC, but I think we're nowhere near that now. Um, certainly not. You know, real estate's regional. I'm certainly not worried about it in Florida too much because the demand and the supply really controls it overall. So even as rates have gone up, the supply hasn't increased. And even if the supply increased drastically, we're not going to have the same wave of foreclosures. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love your comment about cash flow, by the way, how, you know, when we invest in real estate, it should not be an emotional decision, right? It should be led by numbers. And if you can, you know, you know, pencil in the numbers that make it cash flow on day one, it actually doesn't matter what the price point is or what the mortgage rates are or anything like that, as long as it cash flows day one. Rents are uh, far less volatile than housing prices. Yeah. So if you're yeah. buying based on rents, they're not going to wiggle around. And, you know, so many people, you, it's hard to panic sell real estate. And then it's even harder when you bought for rents that aren't going wild. Yeah, 100%. So is it safe to say you're still looking to buy today, still buying today? Yeah, I bought, I bought a lot in 2021. I wasn't really planning to, but I fell into a couple of good deals. Um, you know, I'm always looking. I'm not looking aggressively, but I have my eyes open. And like I said, I only buy within a half hour where I live. I optimize for my lifestyle. Um, I'm, I'm a guy who likes to have my hands on the management. 
I feel like I do it very efficiently and effectively and that helps my cash flow. A lot of people advise, you know, start managing right away so you can scale. Well, for me, I was able to scale because my cash flow is better. And that allowed me mentally to take on the debt, knowing that the debt was safer with higher cash flow. So you, it's really about knowing yourself. If, if you do it better through property management because your time is that much more valuable and you're okay with a slighter margin to push it, you have my blessing. For me, I'm a very conservative guy. Um, I, I definitely am always thinking risk first. Yeah, awesome. I want to talk about um, management, you know, self-managing versus property management, but we'll get to that in a minute. I'm curious in like this long journey of yours from 2006 to today, what your favorite success story is and what you learned from it. And it sounds like you have a lot, but if you could pick one, do you have one that comes to mind that you like to talk about or share? Sure. Um, I remember I bought a, a three family, you know, probably in 2009 or 10, and it was in a rough area. Um, you know, uh, not a full fledged war zone, but close enough where I was looking over my shoulder when I got out of my car. And yeah, that's not the best situation to be in, but the price was incredible. I was buying a three family for $65,000 in Worcester. That's a good price. Um, you know, at the very worst, even the worst of the worst times, it was going to rent for 900 a unit. I was going to get 2,700 off of 65,000. It's worth it for me to, to be a little bit uncomfortable doing it. But my favorite part of the story is, uh, needed some work and I hired a bunch of contractors and one of the contractors was almost making fun of me. He's like, you paid $65,000 for this place. He's like, I wouldn't pay $20 for this place. You're crazy. And I thought about that a lot. And I'm like, why is that? And I'm like, people just don't have the vision. Like it was 2009, everything was going, you know, to bad, but it, it just made sense to me that people are still going to desire shelter. Um, four years from now, the demand for the shelter is going to rise. Even when inflation isn't going crazy right, right now, it's still inflating, you know, two to 4%. So I, I just didn't see the risk. I did have the vision and, uh, to tie up the good part of that story, I ended up selling that property a couple years ago. I held it for almost 10 years and I sold it for 425 from the 65 purchase. I had, I had refinanced hundred percent of my money out of it after the rehab. So I was in it for zero for like a decade cash flowed well. Sold it for 425 and I 1031 exchanged it into 11 units in Sarasota that I paid like 1.2 million for. Wow. Well, congrats. That's a nice win there. What'd you learn from that? What do you think the biggest learning is from that? Well, uh, I'm probably a more effective and efficient property manager through the trials and tribulations of managing in a rougher area. Um, you know, tons of defaults and uh, just different, different, you know, sending notice to quits and ending up in housing court a few times. And, I try to avoid housing court whenever I can. And trust me, the state of Massachusetts has sent me the lesson. Landlords, please stay out of housing court because we're going to give you a hard time if you come in here. So I learned to solve problems on my own, um, mediate problems, um, lots of things along the ways, just taking care of the property and you learn every day. And so if I kind of flip that question on its head, you know, again, throughout like this whole journey of yours, what was like one like incredibly difficult time or experience that you went through that you're, you know, feel comfortable with sharing? And then I'd be curious to hear what you learned from that as well. Man, they all blend together. They all blend together. I, I can remember the first time I went to housing court. I went in and uh, it was a security deposit issue. And Massachusetts has very strict security deposit laws. And I follow them all. I keep them in a separate segregated account. And I have a detailed list. And to be honest with you, I, I probably return 100% of the security deposit 98% of the time. But this time I was completely justified in keeping it all because of damage and damage that I could prove. So we went to court, tenant wanted it back. I made my case. I left court thinking, easy win. I get the letter from the court about 10 days later and I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, oh my God, 
they think I owe that woman, it was $800. But it gets better because five minutes later, I'm like, wait, I owed her $800 triplicate. So <laughs> that was a very um, sound lesson. What I learned is not that I did anything wrong. It was that this is how the system works. If you end up before a judge, we are not going to treat you fairly. So stay out of here. And I've just tried to resolve everything before in front of the judge from, from then on, whenever possible. Do you, do you have any like pro tips? What do you do to get that resolved? It sounds like you have a ton of experience, right? Is there anything you can share? Yeah, I mean, it's case by case. I, I have an attorney handle everything at this point. Then I was more hands-on um, trying to do it myself. But um, I would go into mediation and I would go into mediation thinking I'm 100% right and here are my, my facts, so I don't care. Let's go to a judge. And now I'm like, I am 100% right, but I don't want to go in front of a judge. Can we make a deal right now? Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah. One question that, you know, our audience is always interested in, and I, I, frankly, I personally like to ask, right, is what um, success means to you, right? How you define success? And then a uh, follow-up question to that is, how has that changed over the years, you know, between when, I don't know, you were a kid or 2006 or whatever it is and today? You know, it, it really hasn't changed much. I knew what I wanted when I was young and uh, I, I really didn't like school. You know, I didn't like being told what to do. I didn't like being told what to read. I love to read books, but not if you tell me what book to read, right? So I knew I wanted that freedom. So I, I got out of college, it took me a long time. I got out of college and I started working and I was living in uh, Staten Island, New York at the time where I was born and I was commuting and uh, I, it was miserable. And I knew it wasn't the life for me. I knew I'd rather fail as an entrepreneur than succeed as a nine to fiver. And that's just, again, me personally. So that that's what success meant to me is that I didn't have to um, be somewhere when someone told me to be somewhere or do anything anyone told me to do. And uh, <laughs> I haven't changed much, but success today, you know, I live in Florida right now, which is a dream. You know, the fact that I, I can live here is really the greatest success I could have. But I also, um, I'm able to spend my time on projects where I'm not just chasing money anymore because the real estate's taking care of things. So now I devote a lot of my time to the Fraternity of Excellence, which is my men's group. And we help men um, fully realize their lives, actualize whatever your weakness is. You know, if you have trouble with your marriage, your parenting, your fitness, we, we help you address that weakness and rise up, rise up your levels in that. Yeah, that's that sounds very much like it's greater purpose, right? More meaningful like uh, uh, endeavors or or more meaningful, you know, time spent, I guess. And while we're talking about where where can people find out more about the Fraternity of Excellence? You can go to fraternityofexcellence.com and jump right in and I recommend you do, but if you need some more time, we just started a free private Facebook group called The Path to Excellence. So if you look up Path to Excellence or you find me on Facebook, Jeffrey Higgins, or you find me anywhere on social, just shoot me a DM, I'll respond to you, I'll, uh, I'll point you in the right direction. Yeah, cool, thanks for plugging that, awesome. Um, going back to, to my question about like your definition of success, right, if if you could go back in time, um, you said you're 40 and change, right, if you could go back to, you know, when you're 20, 18, whatever, what would you do differently? Would you do, do anything differently or? I, I don't think I would, and actually that's a big realization I've had in the last couple of years because I used to look back and I'd have regrets and I'd have, I cringe about stupid things I've done. And really the last couple of years I've really embraced that it was all necessary. Every single mistake was important to getting me to where I am today. So I wouldn't change anything. Now, if I want to nitpick, there's a couple property sales that I wish I held on to. I hold most things, but I drive around Marlboro, Massachusetts now, and I still own a lot of property there. But the houses that blink and I stand out the most are the ones I sold. <laughs> and uh, I'm 
interested in jumping into this, you know, property management um, topic here, because obviously you have a, you know, a bunch of properties in Massachusetts, you live in Florida, it sounds like you have a bunch of properties in Florida as well, you like to be hands on, you like to manage, maybe I'm reading into this, you, you like to control things. So do you property manage your portfolio in Massachusetts? Or do you have a property manager do that for you? little bit of a hybrid, I suppose. So I have 35 units in Florida and I do everything here. Um, I am not handy, so I, hand, I, um, I hire out all the work. And what I do is I really try to develop a relationship with the people because there's a lot of bad contractors out there. So my, my view is like, I try everyone out and I weed you out very quickly. But as soon as you show me something, you show me some trustworthiness, you show me that you're, we're working together. It's not you versus me, but we're both trying to accomplish the same thing. I start treating you really, really well because I appreciate that. And I want to show you that I respect you. And we build a relationship. It's not just paying on time, even though that's important, but it's it's really showing the respect and that goes a long way. And it's not anything that I even have to try hard to do because when someone does step up and they do that, I appreciate it genuinely. So back in Massachusetts, I went through that process and there was one guy who just heads heads above and over the years i'm like man i really respect this guy he's a good guy he's very very trustworthy and he was a contractor so before i was going to move to florida i proposed the idea you know you know how to do everything i do i would leave on a vacation and he would show my apartments for me so i'd be like how about if you just do this full time and i will you know i'll still take the applications and i'll advertise the property but anything i can't be there for in person you can be the face for me and he reluctantly accepted years ago and today it's a very natural thing. You know, I talk to him, I text him a few times a week and we have a call once a week and that's how it runs. And why not property management, I guess, especially for your portfolio that's, you know, remote to you? Efficiency. Um, number one, this guy does it way better than a property management company could as far as when your handyman is taking the call, that's the most efficient thing in the world if you trust him. So instead of someone calling me or calling a manager and then the manager calls a handyman, well, the manager is taking a big cut to make that connection, but I already have that connection. So if, if the tenant calls me or if the tenant calls the handyman directly, I've just cut out a big middleman who wants significant money. At this point, I'm managing 90 units. It would cost me well into the six figures a year and then turnovers even more. So um, it's really efficiency and uh, bottom line savings trying to be cash flow positive as much as possible to make myself more comfortable with the debt. So I guess the million dollar question that everybody's probably got on their minds is, you know, how do you manage yourself, right? And with help from this, you know, person up in Massachusetts, right? But 90 something units, how much time does that take away from you? You'd be very surprised at how little and uh, it wouldn't have happened 15 years ago, but I've gotten very good at it. I don't waste time. I made a couple videos on YouTube about things uh, I optimize for. Uh, YouTube is at efficient victory if you want to check them out. But like, you know, I stack the appointments on top of each other. I, I'll place an ad on Zillow and I know what to price them at. So I don't waste much time being too high or I don't waste uh, or I don't give away money by pricing them too low. I know the market. I have a lot of experience. I know now how to solve all these issues that come up. So, I mean, today, you know, I got a text. This is I made a text. You know, this problem is here. I made a text and the issue is completely off my plate. As soon as I get the confirmation from a guy, who I built a relationship with that I trust is going to take care of the issue, property management actually doesn't take me much time at all. For me to pay the money it would cost uh, would be would not be a good decision for me. But so what about like the calls, the late night calls, the toilet broke type calls, right? The tenant screening because 90 units, you got 90 tenants, right? If not more, does that take any of your time? 
Um, it takes a little bit of time. I don't take overnight calls and I, I set expectations very clearly up front. You know, if something happens in the middle of the night and it's a true emergency, there's not much I can do anyway. And most, most providers, you need to call an emergency service person and the tenant can do that as easily as I can. We'll figure that out at 9am the next day. So nine, even, even my contractor who takes the calls in Massachusetts, he doesn't take overnight calls either. Um, and they don't come in like, except for extremely rarely. Again, if the house is on fire, call the fire department. Don't call me. So, um, so now as far as regular things to come up this morning, I had a call that, um, there was water leaking. I have a bunch of condo units, which is another story, but, um, water was leaking into a condo I own from someone else's that I don't own. I called the pro I called the, uh, housing association, the HOA. And I was like, look, here's the deal. Um, they emailed me back 20 minutes later and they basically were like, this is, this is who you can call to check up on it. This is who owns the unit. By the time I called them, they were already working on it. So, I mean, it took 15 minutes out of my day. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, so you're never going to go to property management, it sounds like. In a perfect world, um, <laughs> my daughter will will learn to do everything I do and do it efficiently. I mean... Is she involved now? I don't know. How old is your daughter and is she involved now? She's nine years old. But okay, so she's not involved. I mean, I've heard people bring their kids along to, you know, boring houses, rehabs. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I do. I do bring her with me and I try to show her and I have these conversations and she probably misses 90% of what I say, but that little 10% is implanting in her brain. You know what? She's a little bit like me. I've seen this. My wife was a very good student, had no problems with school, is fine following direction. I'm not that way. And I've noticed my daughter is a little bit similar to me. So I think once she makes the connection of this is my way to freedom, this is the way to not have anyone tell me what to do, I think she might gravitate towards it. So we'll see. Awesome. And so just touching on the detail, it's going to seem like a detail maybe because I've had this question come up literally in a call that I had earlier this morning. But like when you were talking about setting expectations about, you know, overnight calls, calls, you know, call emergency services and things like that. Do you um, like literally put that in your tenant's lease or is it just through the relationship building that you were mentioning earlier that you have a conversation that sets that expectation? So I have the same conversation with every tenant on move-in day. I hand them my lease. I tell them to read it over. It's seven pages long. It's very long. But I tell them there's only three things that matter. I say, pay rent on time. Um, don't have me getting complaints from neighbors. Like if your neighbors are complaining because of noise and whatnot, that's going to be a problem. And don't bother me if you don't have to. I say that to them. And I say, what does that mean? Now, if there's a heating problem, if there's a plumbing problem, if there's an electrical problem, please call me right away because that is my responsibility. And I take that seriously and I promise that will be my priority to fix it. However, if your light bulb goes out, that is your responsibility. And they laugh and I'm like, I have to say this because it happens. I know it's silly and you would never do that, but we have to talk about this. So there are certain things that are your responsibility. And then I explain all of the little things that might happen and they get the idea generally at that point, you know, this is the deal. Here's the other thing. I, I operate in class C, class D, lowest end of the market. So my prices are actually very good. Like in Sarasota, if you want to rent an apartment and I advertise an apartment, it's almost always the cheapest thing available in the town. So people are looking for basic services. I Sometimes I would, or I used to say, I don't really say anymore. I'm just like, if this came with a concierge service and white glove service, it would cost more. And they understand that they want a, a value. I understand what it's like to be low income. And I enjoy serving that market. I know what I'm doing. I'm offering, I'm providing value. And like I said, I would never, all of my responsibilities I take very seriously, but it's not my responsibility to hold your hand while you change a light bulb, you know? Yeah, 100%. No, that's interesting because it's a hotly debated topic, right, in, in, the, in this space. I was just curious how you do it. 
Um, and I know, I know a lot of people who try to put as much as they possibly can in the lease, like literally things like light bulbs or garbage disposal or whatever, your responsibility, not the landlord or the property managers, right? So just curious how you do it. Ultimately, it really just comes back down to being a reasonable guy and being uh, reasonable just being people. a human. Yeah. Just being a human, absolutely. Um, one thing that we like to do on, on this particular show is to really help people kind of get started, get in the, the right mindset uh, for, for achieving success, for, um, you know, whether it be real estate or not, but obviously a lot of our audience and our hosts here, you know, talk real estate. Um, you know, when you come across people that are kind of glass half empty instead of glass half full, right, uh, that talk to you about, oh, this real estate thing, I love what you have, that seems great, but I can't do it or whatever. What do you tell those people? people, right? What's your secret to kind of get people going in this space? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, if you think the glass is half full or half empty, you're right either way. It's really, it's really personal responsibility. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people today, oh, it was so much easier back then. Well, you know, if you were in the year 2000 and you talked to a landlord from 1980, they were talking about the 2% rule instead of the 1% rule. Yields on rental property used to be a lot higher. Now we accept smaller yields. And I, I expect that they'll be even smaller in the future. So deals never look good in the present day. It doesn't mean go out haphazard and get yourself a deal, but it does mean that you prepare yourself. You look and you look, and then once something is acceptable, the risk is acceptable, you're not going to eliminate risk entirely. If you're looking to eliminate risk, you're gonna buy an annuity and you're not you're gonna not get any return for it. So you need to really be prepared to act when things are almost good enough. They're not gonna be good enough. Wait until they're good enough. Don't do a bad deal. But when they're good enough, you have to act. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, like you were saying and sharing your example before, right? If, if, if one manages to kind of keep the long view, ultimately, it typically always pays off, right? That, that $400,000 plus dollar example of yours that you bought for 65K, that's a prime example of that. Just, you know, hold on, think long-term, be patient, right? Cash flow focused. Yeah. You know, you focus on the cash flow and the appreciation will take care of itself. Maybe not next year, maybe six years from now, maybe 13. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Jeff, I want to start getting you uh, out of here soon uh, to start wrapping things up. Um, as usual, I like to ask for like one of your favorite book recommendations for um, the audience, something that has helped you in your life. Yeah, I was thinking about this question. Um, so real estate wise, I like to recommend Landlording by Lee Robinson because it's a, it's an outdated book, but it taught me a lot of the ins and outs. And I, I use that one a lot. It's a big yellow book. And then also the Section 8 Bibles. No one's ever heard of those, but they're really good. They're about these two guys in Philadelphia. They bought a ton of Section 8 houses and they're entertaining writers because they're not real authors. But I do have to mention my new favorite book, one I just read this week, Men of Grit, Strong as Steel by Jerry Adams. He's uh, my brother in the Fraternity of Excellence. He just wrote a very inspiring book. It's out on Amazon last week and it's doing very well. I enjoyed it. Very cool. Thank you for those. What about like a, an app or a tool or software, something like that, that you use uh, on a daily or on a regular basis, I should say, I guess, to help you kind of achieve success and get to where you are? Two resources that I use. I use buildium.com to um, do my applications, collect my rents and uh, do some accounting. And it just keeps everything streamlined. I have a, a site the tenants apply on. And then when they move in, I tell them they can pay rent on the same site. It makes my life much easier. Collecting rent is a pain. I do have some tenants that don't have bank accounts and I still collect cash in some cases or have people collect cash for me. But if you can get them on Buildium, that is better. Um, and then the other uh, the other site to optimize my life is the fraternityofexcellence.com. I love it. Well, perfect. You're making my job easy here, Jeff, because I was going to segue into the last question for you here. Um, how best can our audience you know, help you 
and or reach out to you? You talked about a podcast, YouTube, Fraternity of Excellence. Where where can people get their hands on all those things? You can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Higgins, on Instagram at Jeff Hig, J-E-F-F-H-I-G. But my, my number one priority, my passion and project is the fraternity, uh, fraternity of Excellence or Find us on the free Facebook private community, Path to Excellence. What about your podcast and uh, YouTube you mentioned as well? I don't think we uh, shared the link earlier. The podcast is called Efficient Victory, and we've had a lot of good guests on there. We talk about real estate, these most recent episodes, but we've also been talking about wider men's, uh, men's self-improvement issues, fitness, and family-related stuff. That's the podcast, and the YouTube channel is the same, at Efficient Victory. Awesome. Well, we'll, as always, put all of this information in the show notes so folks go out there and, and get in touch with Jeff. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. It was awesome chatting with you. And I look forward to having you on the show again soon to hear about, you know, your breaking 100. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it, Nathan. Thanks. All right. Take care. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.